Welcome to another episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast, where we interview top sellers and sales leaders to learn the different tips, tricks, and mental strategies that they use to create sustainable peak performance. Let's get rolling. Welcome to this week's episode of the Peak Performance Selling Podcast. I am so excited to bring Adam Jay on. I've really been following him for a couple months is all now, but not only after talking to him before the show, but seeing what he talks about on LinkedIn, seeing his presence, how he shows up. I'm just super excited to unpack more of his story and how he shows up as a leader. Um, Adam's background, he's a culture-driven sales leader whose passion lies in building winning cultures and developing leaders. He embraces a servant and leader mindset and has extensive experience building revenue from zero to a hundred, yes, a hundred million dollars, increasing market share, leading sales teams focused on disruptive SaaS tech. He's currently VP of sales at Reprise, a venture-backed Series B company. They just raised $62 million. They are definitely hiring, whose technology I think is really going to disrupt sales that allows sales and marketing leaders to tell product stories through demos and product tours to drive more product-led growth, which is coming up so, so much more frequently. And I think really helping accelerate sales in the buying process. So, Check them out, getreprise.com. And Adam personally lives in West Palm Beach, even though he was just in Vail a week ago, and I can't believe I missed him, but lives there with his wife, Crystal, his son, Zachary. He's an avid traveler and a self-proclaimed amateur chef. We might have to unpack that one a little bit, but Adam, thank you so much for joining on. (laughs) No, thanks for having me. Um, Thanks for the great intro. Uh, Self-proclaimed amateur chef. Um, we're, we're, We're not cooking anything amazing. All right. Well, we, we might have to hear a, a favorite dish or something along the lines as we get into the show. <laughs> so, Adam, I always love starting with, you know, a, a little bit of folks background and, and really, you know, what I, I heard is I've listened to you talk on some different shows. You know, it sounded like your, your dad was in sales early on and you thought there was no chance you were ever going to end up in sales. Funny enough, here we are now. But I'm always curious, what, what's something that you learned growing up that impacts how you lead or how you sell? Yeah. Um, so my dad sold everything. Uh, my dad started in residential real estate when I lived in Florida as a little kid, commercial real estate. We moved out to Vegas because that's a great place to raise a family. Um, and he, he got into the timeshare game. And I really saw kind of what that hustle was in an environment of selling something that people really don't need. Sorry for any timeshare sellers that may be listening right now. Um, what I learned is how not to sell. Um, you and I were talking before, right? Like my, my childhood wasn't rosy. Um, dad was an addict. Mom was an addict. Um, so in between selling, you know, Vegas was not the great place for an addict, right? My dad would close a deal, get that commission, and we'd head to the casino and he'd spend it. And I'd watch him like win a $10,000 jackpot on video poker was his game. Man had the fastest fingers in the world. Um, And he put it all back instantly, like within hours. So my thought was like, I don't want to live this kind of life. Like he's in sales. I don't want to do anything related to what he does. But what I did learn was how to close. My dad could sell dope to the Pope, best closer out there, um, just not in the most ethical way. Uh, So I learned how to close. I learned that sales can be rewarding financially, um, rewarding personally. But I also learned how not to treat people and how not to take that money and turn it into something negative and to really use it for positive. 
Wow. I appreciate you sharing that story is I think so much of what I expected to learn when I got out of school was how to do everything right. Or when I started, you know, school shows you like, this is how you learn everything the right way. And so much of what I learned early in my career was this isn't how you engage with people. This isn't how you interact. This isn't how you treat a prospect. This isn't how I would want to be treated. And I think there's a lot of power in understanding that we learn from the setbacks. We learn from the challenges in many cases, a lot more than we learn from the successes and the wins. I'd be curious as you think about, you know, looking through your career and how you lead, I always love like, how do you bounce back from those tough weeks, months, quarters, or, or how do you coach your, you know, leaders to bounce back? Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question, right? Sales has ebbs and flows and ups and downs. And I think when you look at that, you know, first and foremost, you can't let it get in your head, right? The second best answer to yes is no. The worst answer is maybe. Um, and, and training, you know, our leadership team and certainly our reps that like getting to no is okay because then we're going to understand the why behind the no. We could sell around that and do it properly. Um but I think what, one of the things you really have to realize is whether you're on a monthly quota, a quarterly quota, or an annual quota, one week, one month does not make a trend. We're all going to have bad months. I, I, I was talking with you know, my commercial leaders this morning, and we were looking at a specific rep who is doing great, but just had a bad month last month. Um, and that was exactly what I said. is like, he or she just had a bad month. It's okay. It's not the end of the world. To offset it, you know, where you don't let it get in your head, you got to celebrate the wins, no matter how small. I think it's really important as a team, whether you're a BDR, an AE, a leader, marketing, wherever it is, we have a wins channel. Um, and we celebrate every type of win, whether it's a, you know, proof of concept completion from our amazing solutions engineering team, that goes in the wins channel. We close a deal, that goes in the wins channel. We get a renewal, that goes in the wins channel. We get a five-star G2 review, that goes in the wins channel. And when you start seeing all of these wins, and all the good that you're doing every day. Yes, it might not be closing deals. You might not have closed you know, a 250K deal today, but there was a win today. And we moved the business forward one way or another. That to me is how you keep that negativity out of your head and how you bounce back. And then the other thing, Jordan, that I think is really important, and this is truly the first place I've worked where we embrace this, work hard, go home. We sell software. We're not curing cancer. I, I come from healthcare where we literally had a device that removed polyps and fibroids from women's uteruses that cause cancer. So I've done the, like, we cure cancer. It could wait till tomorrow. Work hard, go home, spend time with your family, with your friends, with your loved ones, with your pets, and start over tomorrow. You can't let it get you down, man. Oh, this is good because this ties really nicely into a question that, that I saw when you shot me an email. The bottom, there's this in bold, truly human notice. Getting this email out of working hours we work at a digitally enabled relentless pace, which can disrupt our ability to sleep enough, eat right, exercise, and spend time with the people that matter most. I'm sending you this email at a time that works for me. I only expect you to respond to it when convenient to you. I saw that and thought that was just a, a fantastic example of creating space for folks, creating the ability or to remove that pressure that I think so many of us feel when I get you know a message from the VP of sales it four in the morning, it's like, oh my gosh, like I need to respond. How do I get right. myself on my A game? 
where'd that come from? And talk to me about how, how you think about that, because I thought that was a fantastic example of some really uh, empathetic leadership. So I, I worked for a certain company that will remain nameless. Now everyone's going to go check out the LinkedIn, but I, I still won't say which one it is. Um, but had a really toxic culture, man. Um, we would get emails at three or four in the morning. Um, and one came from a CEO and it was something to the effect and I'll paraphrase of like, if, if you're, if you can't sleep at night and you're up till two in the morning and you're losing touch with your wife and kids and all you're thinking about is business, you're probably doing things right. And I sat back and I was like, what do you, what did you really just send that? Um, and it blew my mind because my mindset has always been work when's good for you. Like, so I've always worked remote, right? I've never managed in, in-house. I've always managed remote teams. Um, I've worked in offices for like a week here, a week there. You come up for part of the quarter, but generally speaking remote throughout the whole U.S. And like, listen, six o'clock Pacific time is nine o'clock my time. I'm going to my kids bed at nine o'clock. I'm not answering your Slack message. Um, but I always want people to feel comfortable pushing back on me as well. And I think when a time point comes along and you look at that truly human notice, like, yeah, I might respond at six in the morning because I'm awake at six in the morning, or maybe I couldn't sleep and I'm doing stuff at 1am. Ideally, I'm using schedule later. Sometimes I forget. Um, But I think that when you're working with worldwide businesses, it's important that they realize that we don't need an immediate response. And time with family is important. And it's one of the things I talk about you know, Jordan, when I hire people, if you look at my calendar, so I have a 10 year old that I share with my ex-wife. We do a week on a week off. Um, the weeks that I have him from one o'clock until two 30, my calendar is blocked out. I pick him up from school and I do homework with him. Don't care if the world's on fire. Nothing is more important. And I've had reps say to me like, Oh, you know, the customer could only meet at this time. I respond back to the customer and I'm super transparent about it. Hey, Jordan, like, would love to meet with you. This is the time I pick up my kid. Is there any other time that works for you? You would be amazed how it humanizes you. And I think that's where when you look at sales leadership and you look at sales and the truly human notice, it's humanizing yourself. I'm more than a VP of sales at Reprise. I'm more than an AE at Reprise. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. And this time doesn't work because of that. Let's find a time that works for both of us. And the same that applies to you. Just because I'm responding now doesn't mean I expect you to. It's, it's really cool because I think especially as folks have had to become familiar or more comfortable going remote. I know I've had folks on the podcast that have said, like, I never was going to do remote. Like, even as COVID started, it was never going to happen. Yeah. Wow. It's like pretty nice now. And there's a lot of benefits. But as somebody that's been remote your entire career, what do you think? folks get wrong about remote life or where do you think we've got some opportunity to lead our teams more effectively? Oh, I, I mean, I feel like we could spend the whole podcast on this. Um, it's challenging for a lot of people. I think that people have trouble in trusting that people are working. There's this inherent mindset and this is more so outside of sales. Um, you know, how do I know that so-and-so is being successful in their role? In sales, it's very easy. You hit your number and you don't. Um, whether you're remote, whether you're in an office, like candidly, if you can hit your number and work three hours a day, more power to you, go, go, go ski the slopes and bail. Um, when you look at folks like customer success or product, like how do you know that they're working? And I think that 
you have to trust and set expectations, but you can't fall in the trap of what a lot of leaders who've never managed remote do of micromanaging. Um, I've heard stories of like leaders requiring everyone to be on a Zoom all day. Um, you're, you're remote, but we're in the office and we're all on Zoom. All, we're on mute, but we're all on Zoom all day. Like, what the hell is that? How, how do you trust people? Um, and that culture building is so important. I think when it's remote, it's the, the daily standups that I would hate as a rep, you know, are important because you're bringing everyone together. You're showing that it's not just you that's living in a vacuum. Um, the Slack messages, the team building events are all critical, but the micromanaging is the quickest way to ruin a remote culture. Uh, I'm a big believer in like trust, but verify, you know, give people, you know, that trust and empower them. And we could certainly talk empowerment and decision-making and, you know, all that stuff that ties into my leadership style. But in that remote world, you have to trust that people are going to do the right thing. And most, most people are, and candidly goes back to truly human. If you need to log off for an hour to go do whatever, great. I'm going to assume that hour is going to be made up somewhere during the week. If we were to really sit back and look, I would argue that people are more effective and more productive remotely when I could walk downstairs after I put my kid to bed, when my wife is doing something that like, you know what, I'm going to go bang out a half an hour worth of work. Um, that would never happen if I was going into the office. Yeah, I do think we've seen this evolution of, um, you know, I've said for a while, I, I like work-life balance. I also like this integration of work and life where we can not have to be different people and we can be passionate about the problems that, that we're solving. And so it's exciting to be like, yeah, I'm going to hop on and work on a little bit more of this project or whatever it can be. And now when I don't have to worry about like, oh, I've got to drive 30 minutes, I've got to sit in traffic for an hour each way. Oh, I mean, just, I mean, I was so fortunate when I was in Boston, I had a five minute walk as my commute, which awesome. I, I almost was like, oh, this is too short. Like I'd love to do some additional learning or whatever it is during that time. But I talked to so many coworkers that had kids and would speak two hours, three hours in the car each way. I remember my first VP of sales who I'll never forget the story where he commuted about an hour and a half each way every day oh, uh, from Denver, Denver into Boulder, South Denver into Boulder. And he went on a family trip and his son went to like jump in the pool without floaties on. And he's like, no, no, no. Like you can't jump. You, you don't know how to swim. And he's like, where have you been dad? Like I, I know how to swim. You just haven't been there. And I was like, whoa, like I, I, again, like you learn from the negative stories so much where that one has stuck with me for 12, 13 years now, where it's like, when I think about my values and priorities and I don't have kids yet, but like, I want to be able to be around my family. And I think there's been so much benefit. And I've heard you talk a little bit about like, you've loved being able to spend time with your son through COVID, through the pandemic and having more of that opportunity where it's been really stressful and tough for a lot of parents that haven't been remote their whole lives, aren't used to some of those things. But man, I think there's just so much richness in our lives that can come now. And I'd be curious, like, what advice do you have? I think love having the blocks with your, your kid and your son to be able to say, yeah, here's when I spend time with them. Any other advice for those working parents on how to really show up? Yeah. Um, it goes back to humanizing yourself. I, I was on a call the other day and my, 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 my office, so, so I, I have glass doors, right? So when my kid comes up, <clears throat> I see him. 
And no matter what I say to him, like he doesn't realize like daddy's working, right? Like if there's glass doors, he'll wave and make funny faces. And I used to like try to be very stoic and ignore it and things that were accept- weren't acceptable two years ago. Now, like now I'm like, dude, like come on in, pop over here. I'll take the headset off. Come say hi. It's the joke with the customer with my AE. Like he, he's really the boss. Um, embrace it embrace working from home. There's nothing wrong with the dog barking in the background. There's nothing wrong with the kid walking in the room. Um, you don't have to say, I'm sorry. I, I, I try to teach my team that all the time. Like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. The dog's bark. there's nothing to be sorry for, man. Like we all work from home. This is great. I love it. Bring your dog in. I want to see what kind of dog you have um, and humanize yourself. And then I think, you know, when you look at how you balance it, that's exactly it is. It's a balance. I am, OCD. When I'm done, I walk out of my office. I shut my office door. I do not walk in this room to do anything other than work. Um, don't work from the bedroom. Like you, you, you still have to separate. And I recognize there's people who live in Boston and New York and San Francisco. Um, and you don't have a choice, right? Like you work in your bedroom, shut the laptop down and be done. But when, when, you, when you're done, you're done. You still have to treat it like an office. Yeah, I think that was one of the things I was fortunate to have dedicated space since I was remote pre-COVID. And it's really tough for others, but I love that you call out the like, you don't need to say I'm sorry. I have so many folks that are like, oh, I'm sorry, my adorable little kid just like ran into the room and wanted to give me a hug. It's like, don't be sorry for that. No, you're, gonna, you're human. It's like, this is going to make me want to buy from you now. <laughs> it's it's exactly it's i love that you know give them the permission to be like we don't need to say sorry anymore people it's an opportunity and treat it as something that's like really special opposed to like oh my gosh i'm so sorry and i think it's evolution you know i think we're, we're seeing this progress and I, I think we'll see more of that but i love 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 calling out like you don't need to be sorry for the dog barking for the kid wanting to say hi it's we're humans and i think we're seeing that evolution in sales to be much more human, even though we're working towards, you know, okay, great. How will we let you take care of it on your own and learn on your own? So you don't have to like spend the time on the phone call all the time or whatever it is that I think is going to really help enable, again, sales to move away from being this like dirty word or, oh yeah, I do sales. Like I'm embarrassed by it. And it's like, no, I'm a sales professional. And I, I help people make decisions to buy things that help their companies their customers, whatever it is, move and work more effectively. I, I love everything you're saying. I think when you talk about sales being a dirty word, like you're, you're, you're speaking to my heart, right? Like, yes, like the, the used car salesman and shoving it down your throat. And, you know, you have to buy today or the price changes. Like, yeah, that's sleazy. That's dirty sales. Um, you know, helping customers and prospects see value and get a return on investment and grow their business when I look at some of the tools that make me successful, that make our team successful, it's because someone sold them to me. Not because I just went out and said, oh, I want, you know, this. Someone sold them to me. I still take cold calls. Um, you know, and I, I bought software based off of cold calls. Does it happen often? No. Does it happen? Absolutely. Um, be proud of what you do as long as you're doing it with integrity. That's great. I, I want to transition a little bit because you talk a lot about developing leaders and how do we develop talent and especially somebody that's done it remote for many years. I feel like that's a, an even 
newer iteration on that skill. That's, it's been a challenge, I think, for most organizations to really develop talent over time as it's just historically been great. You're a top seller. You now become a manager and like, whoa, the skill set's starkly different. Talk to me about how you think about developing leaders in sales and, and how you kind of move through some of that process. So I think you, you, you hit the nail on the head right away. Just because you're a top seller does not mean you're going to be a good manager. Um, and I'm not trying to upset the top sellers out there, um, but I'll tell a quick story. You know, you talk about stories that you're never going to forget. Um, the story I'll never forget myself. I was a top seller rookie of the year, territory manager of the year, like all, all this great stuff. And the first the manager role came open and I'm going to apply for it. Why the hell wouldn't I get it? I'm the top seller, right? Um, I applied for the role and I didn't get it. Didn't have great leadership that provided a ton of feedback. Um, the role came open again. Next management role applied for the role. Didn't get it. I had a great leader um, who sat me down and she's like, you want to know why you're not getting promoted? I mean, yeah, like I'm the number one rep. Why am I getting promoted? Because you're an asshole. Excuse me? Um, you're the number one rep. You have to tell everyone the number. you're the number one rep. You don't help people and you have a big mouth. And I, st- I, I, I can tell you to this day, Jordan, where we were sitting when we had this conversation. Um, and it really made me look back, like to be a good leader, being a top performing rep, sure, that's part of it. Maybe I could argue that you could be an average performing rep and still be a great leader. Are you coaching people? Are you guiding people? Are you humble? Are you willing to help and share your ideas? All of that is what makes a good leader, not just being a top performing rep. And I think there's this mindset that, oh, I'm the number one rep. The next logical step is to be a manager. Being a manager, frontline manager is a thankless job. Um, It's it's hard. It's difficult. You're not responsible for yourself anymore. You're responsible for, depending on the company, anywhere from six. I interviewed someone the other day who's managing 14 reps, which blew my mind. Um, Whole separate conversation. But it's thankless. You're, you're putting your financial growth, your paycheck in the hands of other people. And I think that to do it the right way, you have to have the mindset of, number one, I'm not doing this for the money. I'm doing this because I love to coach. I love to develop. Um, I love to help people. And you, you'll find your good leaders do that before their leaders. I, I have an AE on my team right now. Um, that did a prospecting power hour yesterday out of the blue. He's like, anyone who just wants to come watch me cold call, watch me mess up, watch what I do great, see if we could help each other, come join this Zoom. Like that's leading without authority. So I think, you know, when you talk about developing leaders and my passion is getting AEs to managers and managers to directors and directors to VPs, um, there's a few things that come to mind. You know, number one, you're going to mess up. That's okay. We need to set this expectation from the beginning that you don't get put into leadership with the expectation that it's rainbows and unicorns and everything's going to have a pretty little bow and it's going to be perfect. Um, You're going to fuck up. Pardon my French. Again, and you'll hear me say this a lot, we're not curing cancer. It's okay. No one is going to die because we quoted someone the wrong price. Not a big deal. We can fix it. At the end of the day, maybe we walk it back. Maybe we don't. You said it. I'll honor it. It's okay. It's not going to kill us. but I think it really comes down to me to empowering your team. Um, one thing you'll realize, I never use the word manager um, and I never use the word boss. I use the word leader um, with my team, with AEs, when I'm hiring people, because I want you to lead. 
And when you're partnering with me, I don't want you to come to me and ask me how to make decisions and what do I do? I want to strategize with you and I want to challenge you to think differently because that's how you develop. Otherwise, you're not going to get to that next level. So it's this decision-making down to the lowest common denominator. You want to hire someone? Awesome. I disagree. I'm going to tell you why. I might challenge you to think differently. I'll share my point of view with you. But at the end of the day, it's your team. And unless, I, unless there's this glaring red flag, I'm going to let you hire that person. I hope you prove me wrong. Because I also, as a leader, need to learn from you. And maybe you saw something that I didn't see. You know, conversely, when it comes to rolling out products or how to, you know, manage different members of your team or who do you put on a pit or who gets promoted, we're going to strategize together, but I'm not going to tell you what to do. And then I think the, the last thing that's really important is no matter what level you are, you have to invest in yourself, man. And that doesn't mean going out and spending a bunch of money on this $20,000 course and, you know, every $200, you know, course that's being put out on LinkedIn, like everyone has a platform now. Every, every, everyone's an expert. No, be careful who your experts are. Um, but spend the time to learn from trusted experts. Read, watch. Um, I read a ton, a ton of different sales books. Um, you know, I don't, I don't want to call them self-help, but like, I think it's important to be aware of the areas where you're weak, um, where you need to hire people that are stronger than you where you need to empower others and where you might need to pull the reins back a little. I'm a big believer in that diverse leadership team. Um, I have two amazing leaders right now. They're both very different people. One has strengths where the other is weak. One has strengths where the other is weak. And then they both have strengths where I'm weak. And I think when you bring us together, part of developing leaders is, isn't always having to be the boss. If you ever hear me on a sales call, you know, when, when I introduce myself, I, I don't introduce myself as the VP of sales. My name is Adam. I work for the sales team. My job is to block tackle and get obstacles out of the way to empower my team. I will often say, and people laugh at me that my job, I'm the admin for my team. I, I, I do paperwork for them. Um, and I think when you start empowering your team and you look at the org chart as inverted and you put yourself at the bottom, that's when you could really start developing people and giving them that power to really show their leadership skill set. Long-winded answer, man. Oh my gosh. But that's one that I think everybody listening should go back and like play over once or twice because I, as I sit here and take notes through this, you'll see I've like got stars on a bunch of things, all caps many times, because there are so many, so many wonderful points in there. As we think about, you know, that last one I love, it's like, yeah, look at the org chart is inverted. You know, I work for the sales team. I don't have to go screaming from the rooftops anymore that I'm the number one rep or the VP of sales. We've learned that like, no, I'm, I'm here to enable them and empower them. I, I love this thought of that you, you're a leader, you're not the manager or the boss. And then I heard you also say in that vein of like, when you're partnering with me, not working for me. And I think there are so many folks that look at that leadership role as great. These are all the people that now I just have to delegate everything to. So I don't do the things that I don't want to do anymore incredibly powerful and oh my gosh yeah i've got appreciate i got a lot of good nuggets in there so i appreciate you bringing that to the table um oh man so you one of the things that i wanted to talk about and you, you just hit on it so you talk about building diverse teams we talk about you know dei and like i think we're just seeing such an awesome revolution in sales these days and sales leadership where now you know folks can see somebody that looks like them 
as the VP of sales or the CEO of an organization where in many cases that was not the case. And so I'd, I'd just be curious, like, what are you thinking about how to effectively build, you know, diverse, equitable, inclusive teams uh, in, in your sales organizations? It, it, it's so funny you bring this up because this was not part of our pre-call conversation. Um, but my revenue leader actually and I were slacking about this this morning. Um, so your timing is actually perfect. Um, and I'm going to caveat everything I'm going to say, but I, the fact that I recognize that I'm the token white straight male sales leader saying this. Um, so there, there is that caveat. You have to have diverse teams. And it's not because we have to check this box of DEI and like, you know, all that good stuff. You want your team to represent your customers that you're selling to number one, which I think is important, but more importantly, you want folks who bring different perspective, who come from different walks of life, who have different backgrounds, different values, different beliefs, who look differently, talk differently, believe in different things, eat different foods, whatever it happens to be. Um, because that's the world we live in. The world isn't a world of straight white men or straight white women. The world is diverse and mixed in a wonderful place. And how do you sell and relate to other people when it's a room full of the same people? We have an incredibly diverse team um, at Reprise, which is something I'm super proud of, probably one of the most diverse teams I've ever had. We partner with a group called Us in Technology, um, which really focuses on bringing tech jobs to those who don't come from the tech space. Another thing that I think we do really well when it comes to encouraging diversity, we don't negotiate on comp. And it, it struck me when, when I, you know, joined Reprise, right? I'm, I'm a sales leader. I'm going to negotiate on my comp and ask for more. And I, 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 I say I was politely laughed at. I wasn't laughed at. Um, but I was told no. And I didn't understand why until after I started. And Jeffrey Hall, who's amazing, who leads our talent team, um, really put it in perspective for me. As someone who comes from tech, you know, as the token white male who comes from tech, I know to negotiate. Right. I know that I could go in and ask for 10, 20, 30, whatever it is, I could ask for it and I could probably get it or somewhere in the middle. People who come from, you know, backgrounds that aren't typically tech backgrounds don't know to negotiate. They're just happy to get that job, take that offer. And even if it's and we don't pay under market, we pay well above market. But if it's 20 grand under market, like it's my job in tech. Why should that person get 20 grand less because they don't know to come in and negotiate? but I should get 20 grand more because I know what I could pull out. So we are, you know, we have a comp committee and we base comp on market average, you know, a percentage above market average of where you live and all these things that really encourage diverse candidates to join the team, to apply. And then you really have to focus on once those folks are there, making sure that they get that same exposure as those who have the tech background, that you're lifting them up, that you're empowering them, and then that network effect starts happening. Now they're starting to refer people in their circles. And now you're truly building a diverse team that isn't 45 people that look like Adam J. That's good. I, I hadn't thought through that comp perspective before, but it makes total sense. And I'm like, wait, you wouldn't like I couldn't come in and negotiate. And it's like, no, but like that's natural for me opposed to, you know, trying to bring these 
folks into tech that it's, you know, we, I've run a lot and been part of first chance in tech events and interviewed a lot of folks that, you know, have never seen anybody in their family go into tech where their families have been pissed that they were going to go into tech. They were like, wait, you're yeah. not going into a startup. Like we left, you know, somewhere in the middle East or, you know, in the Caribbean or whatever it is to give up our lives. So you could be a doctor, a lawyer and have certainty in what your career and learning future was. Brandon, I think their parents have been pretty happy that most of them moved into tech for the ones that have docs. Not, 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 not a bad place. Um, no. But if you look at our team, like we, we do, we have every walk of life, um, every sexual orientation, every ethnicity. We are a truly diverse team and it, it makes us better, 100%. Um, when you look at like a lot of part of our sales process is very technical. Um, you know, there, there's proof of concept, there's vendor of choice, there's security reviews. Um, a lot of those companies right now are outsourced to the Middle East, um, to Africa, to areas where there's cheaper labor, which is a whole different conversation. Um, but being able to relate common language, common culture to that, that is where the diversity comes in and actually makes the people on the other end feel more comfortable that they're talking with people who are like them. Totally. It's so much better for all of us. I love that. Uh, I know we've only got a couple of minutes, so I'd love to rapid fire a couple quick oh questions boy. for you. Um, and I, I'm taking my pick. What's your favorite interview question to ask somebody? Oh, um, I have so many. Um, do you love to win or do you hate to lose? Come on. That's my next question. <laughs> Whether I love to win or hate to lose? Um, <laughs> Dude, I, I, I hate to lose. Um, nothing upsets me more when we have a loss that I feel we could have won, a competitive loss that had we positioned it right, had we tweaked it, had we done whatever, um, we could won. I, I take the losses very personally. Um, my wife will tell you she knows um, when I get a slack and it's in the closed loss channel. Um, you could see it all over my face. My kid even knows. He'll look at me. He'll go, closed loss, daddy. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's too funny. Uh, and last one, what does success mean to you today? Wow. Um, happiness, man. I've chased the golden dollar before. Um, you know, I've gone to a role because it paid X, Y, Z more, even though I would have been happier at the other role. Um, you know, this company is more appealing. You know, they have the brand recognition. It's happiness. I think at the end of the day, success to me, I... I have to pay my bills, make no mistake about it. Um, do I have, and it's such a cliche term that I hate, but like, do I truly have work-life balance? Can I spend time with my kid? Um, can I put down my phone at the end of the day, know that the world's going to be okay? Um, can I go on vacation? I, I, I was in Vail last week. No one bothered me. Not one time did I get a message from anyone on my team. And you know what? I came back. And the world was just fine. Um, and I think that, that that's really important. And then lastly, like from a company standpoint, we're, we're here to build something special, man. I think it's very rare that you can enter a company, Series A, Series B, um, define a category and look back and say, wow, like I had the smallest part in helping build that. Um, that to me is what success is right now. Oh man, I, I could talk to you for hours, but this is just absolutely fantastic. There are so many incredible nuggets here as we think about, you know, how do we build diverse teams? How do we think about being 
leaders and leading our teams? How do we do this in a remote fashion? I, I cannot thank you enough. Uh, Adam, I know getreprise.com hiring. If anybody go, I mean, I'm ready to go work for them now. So if anybody hears this, I know you're hiring anywhere else you want folks to, to go check out. Yeah. So we're hiring a ton. Um, AEs, BBRs, commercial enterprise, you name it, we're hiring. Uh, LinkedIn. Uh, it's all, all that funny HTTPS stuff, blah, 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 blah. Adam, A-D-A-M, B as in boy, J-A-Y. Awesome. Well, until next time, let's go make it a great day. It's thanks to help from listeners like you, this podcast can continue to grow and help others. If you found anything helpful in today's episode, please take a second, share with a friend, and leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast today. Thanks.